0: All right, all right, all right. Praise the Lord. Welcome. Uh, It's uh, very exciting to know by faith that um, many of you are joining in with me now uh, live. Uh, I've heard from folks in other countries and people from different places around the United States. Of course, mostly folks here concentrated in the um, Alabama uh, area, Birmingham area. But wherever you may be, tuning in uh, this evening either live or watching this uh, later uh, by recording welcome and uh, I'm so excited that you uh, are taking some time out of your busy life to commit yourself to discipleship amen so this is discipleship class 2020 uh, 2021 we're beginning our first semester uh, t- tonight 36 uh, classes total, so um, I tried to go ahead and start the live stream a few minutes before 5 to give folks uh, time to get settled in and get dialed in and tuned in, whatever it is that they um, needed to do, so praise God. Um, this, uh, this evening's class will be a little bit different than the ones uh, that, uh, you know, will follow next week and the week after in the sense that uh, I need to make a few announcements and kind of explain some things uh... so let's just take a few minutes uh... to do that Okay, Um, there is a way to uh... register online for this class uh... this is the first year that we have uh... done the class online only and um... our prayers are uh... sometime maybe uh... second semester we can uh... open it up to in person uh... but just because of the uh... room that we're in and it's very difficult to get the kind of distance between folks that we need, um, we decided, uh, not out of fear, but out of wisdom, to begin uh, just online only this year. And so uh, it is a new experience for us, and some of the folks that were real excited about the in-person classes uh, got a little bummed out because they wanted to uh, commit to the class, register for the class, and see it all the way through to the end to get their certificate. So uh, I want to explain to you how you can do that. There is online registration available, okay. Some of you have already done that uh, through Facebook. Some of the uh, Facebook posts and links that uh, we put uh, on Facebook, Heritage Christian Center, uh, the Facebook page there. We're live streaming to that Facebook page. There's a registration link through uh, Eventbrite on uh, that Facebook page, on my Facebook page, uh, Mark Winslet, W-I-N-S-L-E-T-T, two T's at the end. Uh, perhaps the easiest way to do it is just go to the church website, um, hccnow.org, and you'll notice that there's a drop-down tab that says Classes. Under the drop-down tab that says Classes, Discipleship Class, and there is a link there where you can register online through Eventbrite. Now, it may say something about a ticket or something like that. Um, there's absolutely no cost uh, uh, for these classes. Never has been, never will be, okay? Um, and so don't be put off by that. Uh, Eventbrite, too, if you register online, is also going to give you the opportunity to receive, like, an email reminder each week and even a link uh, to watch the class through should you choose to do that. Some people prefer to watch it through Facebook because they like to be able to comment or see who who else is joining in and and watching at the same time. So that's entirely up to you. Um, Now, let's talk about... um, Registration and Attendance. In order to earn a completion certificate for this course, you need to um, have participated in uh, viewed, I guess in this case uh, online um, 30 of the 36 classes. Now uh, If we were meeting in person, uh, we would have a role uh, But it's on, it's an honor system. Uh, we trust you uh, So um, again, we do need you to register if you're interested in Uh, completing the class for uh, the certificate. And then one last thing, this is going to apply to very few of you, um, but if you are taking this class for professional continuing education credits, and there are some of you uh, who are doing that, um, if you are doing it for professional continuing education credits, then um, I need you to email me if we have not talked about that yet, okay? we haven't talked about that yet and you're wanting professional continuing education credits for this class please email me and let's uh, discuss it uh, because i want to make sure uh, that your organization recognizes my credentials okay Uh, i would hate for you to uh, you know think that you're going to get 70 hours or whatever it is of continuing education credits for uh, you know your profession only to find out at the end that um, your particular organization does not recognize what Um, I do. So, anyway, that's my email address, mark at hccnow.org. That's how you can reach me. If you're having trouble finding uh, the registration link and are interested in registering, uh, feel free to shoot me an email and I can email you back uh, the link that you need um, to register. But again, uh, don't panic and please don't go start trying to find it now um, since we're about to really get into the, uh, Meet of the first class, uh, but you you know you can obviously do it later, do it um, after uh, the fact. Now, um, what we're going to do in this first class, is we're going to we're going to talk a, a little bit about what discipleship is. I'm going to I'm going to try to kind of give you an overview of what discipleship is all about, and 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 why we're doing these classes, and why there's 36 of them, and why they're an hour and 45 minutes apiece, and and uh, so I know there's probably a lot of questions there. Maybe some of you uh, joined us this afternoon just to kind of kick the tires a little bit to see, you know, if this may be something you want to continue with or, or, or maybe it uh, is too big of a commitment for you. So I want to try then in this first class to give you some idea of, of what we're doing and what it's all about and why. So with that said, uh, we, we may be a little bit scattered in the sense that we may talk about several different things tonight. Um, but again, it's in the interest of giving you an overview and hopefully inspiring you uh, to dig in with us and, uh, and, and experience these classes together. The Word of God says in Romans chapter 12 that for the born-again believer, uh, transformation, change in their lives, in your life and my life as a born-again believer, is realized through the renewing of the mind. Um, if, if you haven't been born again, then the best thing you can do for your life to be transformed is to call upon the name of the Lord and be saved. But if you've already called upon the name of the Lord and you've already received this gift of salvation, then the one thing, uh, more than any other thing, that you can do to experience transformation in your life reality is to allow the Holy Spirit and the Word of God to renew and recondition your mind. So I can guarantee you, not because I'm the teacher, Uh, but because of the Holy Spirit and because of the Word of God, I can guarantee you that if you commit these classes, uh, you will not be the same person uh, by the time all this is over with. Uh, Again, because of the impact and influence the Holy Spirit and the Word of God has upon our mind, upon our thinking, upon renewing and reconditioning our minds to help us think uh, the way that Father God created and uh, intends for us Uh, to think praise God now these things are um, uh, um, I've got sister Pam's in the room with me and she says we're having issues with the volume so uh, amen we'll try to she's getting some text about the volume so I'm talking pretty loudly Uh, amen John Mark's gonna dial that in for us praise God whoever's texting Pam about volume um, if you could uh, he's going to turn it up just a little bit. We don't want it to distort. That's, that's part of the issue uh, that we have. So if you're texting Ms. Pam about volume, uh, text her back if it got too loud or if it's, if it's not enough. We don't really have any way to monitor it um, in, uh, in this uh, studio that we've set up here in the fellowship hall. So praise God. All right. Um, so a few more things uh, about the class. And one of the first things that I want you to know is that these classes are taught from the perspective of ministry training, okay? What do I mean by that? Well, um, certainly we want want the content of these classes to minister to you. We want want what we do together on on Wednesdays or whenever you watch this, perhaps later, I know a large group at the Foundry is going to be watching it on Thursday evening at 6.30. So whenever you you join in with this, we want these classes to minister to you. But even more than that, we want these classes to prepare you and equip you and train you to be able to minister to other people. Right? So when I say they're taught from a ministry perspective, we see in the Word of God that every born-again believer has been called by God to do the work of the ministry. Okay. And so, we um, are, are going to you know, do that in... You know, And you'll see what I mean as we start getting into this. Because remember, anything that Father God does for you, in you, He then ultimately wants to do through you. So, for instance, you've been born again. He now wants to use you to lead others into that same new birth experience. You've been baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in tongues. Well, praise God. Enjoy that. Use that gift. But also remember that Father God now wants you to be instrumental in, in ministering and praying for others to receive that same gift, to receive that same infilling. So these classes, are, again, are taught from the perspective of ministry training. Now, first verse I'm going to put up tonight is 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse number 3. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse number 3. This is what it says, "...For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine." But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. Now, on Sunday mornings here at Heritage, we've been looking in the Word of God at what Jesus said about the end times, about the last days, about what would be going on in the world around us um, leading up to the end of this age. And we also see that the Holy Spirit through other uh, New Testament writers uh, also gave us some insight into things that we should look for. And one of the things that we see is that the closer we come to the end of the age, that people, uh, members of the body of Christ, born again people, what have you, that they will not endure sound doctrine. That they will not endure sound doctrine, but instead, they will seek out teachers and preachers who will, it says itching ears in the New King James Version, but the idea is that it will tickle their ears. That will basically, uh, they will seek out people who tell them what they want to hear instead of what they need to know. Right? So, the first part of this is talking about enduring sound doctrine. Now, sound doctrine, a doctrine is just a system of teachings. Okay. And over the next you know, 36 weeks tonight and 35 more, um, we're going to cover a lot of different systems of teaching. For instance, there's a doctrine in the Bible about the kingdom of God. There's a doctrine in the Bible about salvation. There's a doctrine in the Bible about righteousness. Okay? And so, a doctrine is just, think of it as a system of, of teaching. Okay, So, it says that the time will come when people will not endure sound doctrine. So, what we can take away from this passage is, is that if we're going to come to the knowledge of the truth, if we're going to have sound teaching and and sound wisdom from God in our lives, it's going to require some endurance on our part. Um, Some of you know that I have the honor and the privilege of meeting with some awesome men and women uh, most mornings of the week down at the foundry. And I'm constantly telling them that, that, that as important as our time together is, that I can't teach them everything they need to know to live their best life, you know, in, in a few 45 minute sessions a week. In other words, it it takes some time and effort, um, quality time as well as quantity time on our part if we're going to come to the knowledge of the truth. So sometimes people ask, you know, why are those classes so long, an hour and 45 minute class? Well, again, um, it requires some endurance on our part. If, if we're going to have sound doctrine. And, and, uh, and, and so don't be surprised uh, when the resistance comes. In other words, when the enemy tries to direct you in other uh, you know, uh, activities or interests or what have you uh, instead of uh, this hour and 45 minute segment of uh, your week. Amen. So, with that said... Uh, discipleship Counselor Training Class Number 1. You say, well, wait a second, Pastor Mark, I thought this was Discipleship Class. Well, we started this now 16 years ago, and it began as an effort to train men and women in the body of Christ to minister to others. And we called those ministers Discipleship Counselors. These were people who would uh, you know, c- com- commit themselves to a training uh, regimen to be better equipped, to be more effective in ministering to other people. And so, uh, over the years, uh, the counselor training part has gotten kind of dropped off by most people, and it's just simply shortened and called discipleship class. This goes back to what I told you a few minutes ago, that these classes are being taught from the perspective of ministry training, to better prepare and equip you to minister to other people. Now with that said, let's go to Acts chapter 20, and verse number 24. Acts chapter 20 and verse number 24. I'll give you a minute to turn there. Um, A few things while you're turning, okay? These uh, classes are recorded both video and audio, and they uh, are made available to you, again, free of charge. So if we get on a roll and, and start going through a lot of verses quickly that maybe you didn't have time to look them up you can do one of, one of two things you can write them down you just write down the reference and look them up later or you can go back um, and listen to the audio video version uh, of this I do encourage you to take notes I do encourage you to take notes but don't get so caught up in taking notes that you miss what's being said and I think some of you uh, will understand what I uh, mean by that praise God All right, Acts chapter 20 and verse number 24, the Apostle Paul speaking, he says this, But none of these things move me, nor do I count my life dear to myself, so that I may finish my race with joy, and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. Now, in this passage, Paul speaks of two very important, but also very basic or fundamental things. He talks about his walk, with the Lord, and he talks about the ministry which he received from the Lord. Okay? Now, in this New King James Version, we see it translated race, uh, this race uh, uh, that I may finish my race with joy. In other places, it's translated course, uh, walk. You could think of it as your personal journey, your personal walk uh, with the Lord, okay? Your daily walk with Him. Amen. So, Paul said, that he must finish his walk, his his race, his journey, um, and that he also then must complete the ministry which he received from the Lord. So, the two very important things that Paul is talking about is his personal relationship and walk with the Lord, and then what he does for him being an extension or an expression of that. Paul recognized, and I'm going to put this up on the screen, Paul recognized that effective ministry is an extension of our daily walk with the Lord. In other words, if you want to be effective in ministering to other people, you're going to have to walk with the Lord yourself. Now, as we get into uh, what discipleship really is, one of the things that we're going to focus on is Jesus telling His disciples, to go and make disciples. He didn't just say, go get people saved. Preaching the gospel of grace so that people can hear that message and be born again is the most important assignment in the church. But He didn't just tell us to do that. He told us to preach that gospel, get people saved, and then make disciples of all people groups on the earth. So your purpose your purpose may be different from somebody else sitting in the room with you right now as it pertains to specifics and particulars. But generally speaking, every human being on planet earth has has, has been called uh, to salvation, right? Jesus bled to death and paid the penalty for every human being on planet earth so that they can be saved and so that they can know the Lord, right? So our, our assignment is to get those folks born again, but also, praise God, to disciple them. And so this is what I've learned. It's, it's, it's a simple expression, but it, it carries with it tremendous truth. Right? And here it goes. Are you ready? It takes a disciple to make a disciple. In other words, if, if a huge part of your general purpose in life is to make disciples, then you've got to become a disciple, you've got to be a disciple, before you can ever make one yourself. Amen. And this is what Paul recognized. Paul was a disciple of of his Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And he walked with Him. He walked closely with Him. He did life together with Jesus. Amen. And because he had that daily walk, And because he had that personal relationship, fellowship, and communion with the Lord, it enabled him to be very effective in what he did by way of service to the Lord. So, they're both important. Your walk and your ministry. You can never let one take the place of the other. In other words, you can't say, well, I just enjoy my walk with the Lord, but I'm not really interested in serving Him. Well, again, that's not God's highest and best for you. But I also see people make the the mistake on the other side in the sense that they get more focused on what they do for the Lord and lose focus on their daily walk and relationship with Him. Amen. All right, now let's go to 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 9. 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse number 9. It says this, speaking of what the Lord has done for us, it says, "...who has saved us and called us with a holy calling." Not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace which was given to us in Christ Jesus before time began. Man, there, there, you spend some time motivating on this verse and it will absolutely get you stirred up on the inside. He's saying in this passage that before time began, Jesus gave purpose and grace to you. Okay? You were given a purpose. People often say, there's got to be some purpose for my life. There's got to be some purpose for my life. You're absolutely right. And that purpose was not given to you the day you were born. That purpose was given to you in Christ Jesus before time began. Notice purpose and grace. Grace is favor that you cannot earn that you do not deserve. But again, the purpose and the grace was given to you in Christ Jesus. And so when we start talking about discipleship, discipleship is about discovering your purpose. Discipleship is about discovering this grace. Notice it doesn't say purpose and grace will be given to us. It says purpose and grace was given to us. Purpose and grace belongs to you. Purpose and grace has been given to you. The sad thing, and what, what has me so passionate about discipleship, is discipleship is about discovering your purpose. Discipleship is about discovering and understanding the grace that was given to you before you were ever formed in your mother's womb. My brother and my sister, you are who you are on purpose. You are when you are on purpose. Father chose you to live during this unique season of human history. He has a purpose for your life and He's given you grace to enjoy in your life. But also grace to... Another word for grace is gift or giftedness, right? He's gifted you. He's graced you. He's given purpose to you. And He needs you. Amen. The body of Christ needs you. The hope of the world is Jesus. And because the body of Christ is, the, is is His body in the earth, I believe the hope of the world is the local church. It's born-again believers. Amen. Who know who they are. Who know where they came from. Who know where they're going. Who walk with the Lord on a daily basis. Who are sensitive to the leading and promptings of the Holy Spirit. Who know uh, the truth and the, and the wisdom of God and have hidden it in their hearts and are then able to minister as the Holy Spirit leads them to other people. Listen, some of you... Some of you watching right now um, are called to pastor a church or to be missionaries or to evangelize. Some of you are called to do that and are doing that. Um, I looked at some of the the comments on on one of the Facebook posts uh, about this class. And Pastor Aaron Knight, uh, dear brother and a dear friend, um, he was encouraging people to participate in the class. Notice I said Pastor Aaron Knight. He's a pastor of a church in in Chelsea now. And he commented that he had taken this, I knew it was a bunch of times, that he had taken this class 13 years in a row. Some of you are like, I'm not sure I can make it through the first hour and 45 minutes. He took it for 13 years. Bryce Hankins commented that he'd taken it for six years. And Sister Gail said, Six years from now, I'm going to be able to say that I I took it for six years in a row. All right? Now, again, discipleship is. It's, it's not so much about becoming something you're not, it's about discovering who you are, the purpose that, that you were created to fulfill, the role that you have to play, the position that, that Father God reserved for you in His kingdom and, and, and in this age and unique, challenging, historically challenging age in which we live. Well, I hope you're getting fired up about that because that really, really does excite me. So as I mentioned before, um, in this first section, we're going to look at, at what discipleship is and what it's intended by God to accomplish in your life. And so I'm going to try to break these down and just be real practical and real uh, deliberate about it, right? So we're answering this simple question, what is discipleship? And number one, praise God, discipleship is our Father's way of bringing us to the knowledge of the truth. Discipleship is our Father's way of bringing you and me, bringing us, to the knowledge of the truth, okay? Bringing us to the knowledge of the truth. First Timothy chapter two verse four, I think you're already over in first or Second Timothy. First Timothy chapter two verse four. I'll give you a moment to turn there if you'd like. Amen. Let me get a sip of water here while you're turning. First Timothy chapter two verse four. He's speaking of again, Father God, and notice what it says, Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Who desires all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Let me tell you what I've learned in my walk with the Lord. Find out what He desires and make His desires your desires. And you will be a very satisfied person. You will live a very contented and meaningful life. Amen. Find out what God desires and make His desires your desires. And we see that this is a huge one. Father God desires for all men to be saved. There's not a single person that's ever lived, that's alive right now, or that will live in the future that Father God does not want to be saved. He wants all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I used to hear this verse backwards. To say that a different way, I thought coming to the knowledge of the truth meant being saved. In other words, for years, I would look at this verse, and I I would think that it it goes like this. You hear the Gospel, you come to the knowledge of the truth, and you get saved but that's not what it says obviously a person needs to hear the truth about what Jesus has done for them uh, in order to uh, call upon the name of the Lord and be saved but that's not what this passage is saying he's saying that Father God desires two very important things for all men to be saved and then once they're saved for those people to come to the knowledge of the truth." Now, the reality of it is this, there are a lot of saved people, there are a lot of born again people in the world who have not yet come to the knowledge of the truth because again, discipleship is our Father's way of bringing us to the knowledge of the truth. And there are a whole lot of people who have been born again who have not yet made a commitment to discipleship. There are a lot of people who have been born again who would love to be discipled, but but there's no one that they understand or maybe that that they've connected to uh, who has put forth any effort to disciple them. So again, He desires for all men to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. We also see that in addition to there being all kinds of people who have been saved, but not yet come to the knowledge of the truth, that there are still all kinds of really important things that we don't know or understand yet. That we don't know or understand yet. And so discipleship, and an understanding of what discipleship uh, really is, um, will open up our, our understanding to the way Father God wants to teach you and bring you, to the knowledge of the truth in your life. Okay, So again, discipleship is not about becoming something you're not. And I think sometimes people approach it that way. Um, I did mention at the beginning uh, tonight that that these classes you can expect, you can go ahead and get in faith and, and confident expectation, hope that these classes are going to change your life. But the transformation is not going to be uh, that you become something that you're not now. It's, it's the transformation is going to come from you discovering who you are in Christ Jesus. What's true about you now as a born-again believer. I define discipleship as you'll see throughout these classes. I define it different ways. But my absolute all-time favorite definition of discipleship, I'll put it on the screen for you. Discipleship is finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. You see, there are a whole lot of folks who became a new creation the day they were born again. But because they've never come to the knowledge of the truth about who they are in Christ, they tend to live more like the person that they used to be instead of the person that they now are. So discipleship is finding out who you became the day you became a new creation in Christ Jesus. Now, Number two, and I'll be honest with you, I was looking at some old notes before I went digital on all these notes. Um, on more than one occasion, I have swapped one and two. <laughs> in, in other words, they're both very important. Um, but, you know, do I talk about this one first or I talk about that one first, okay? And so we're going to call this number two, but it could really be uh, number 1A, you know, uh, in the sense that it's right up there in importance um with number one and that is discipleship is an uncommon commitment okay now discipleship is an uncommon commitment praise God I was sitting here uh, thinking to myself all the years that I've taught this with a room full of people uh, this is normally when the room starts getting kind of quiet amen <laughs> This, this point right here, when we start talking about discipleship in a real pragmatic, a, a, a real uh, you know, practical, whatever the word I'm looking for here, uh, way, um, this, this is kind of where uh, you know, it's, it's easy to talk about it in, in, in theoretical terms and, 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 and these kinds of things, but, but if discipleship is anything, and it's a lot of things, but if discipleship is anything... Discipleship is an uncommon commitment. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, please. 1 Corinthians chapter 9. Amen. Discipleship is an uncommon commitment. So, as you go, let me review as you turn into 1 Corinthians chapter 9. The first thing we said is discipleship is our Father's way of bringing us to the knowledge of the truth. Okay? The second thing now that we're looking at is discipleship is an uncommon commitment. It's not just a commitment. It's an uncommon commitment. In other words, it's a commitment that not everyone uh, is willing to make. Everyone can make it, but not everyone is willing to make it. All 1 right? Corinthians chapter 9, let's begin at verse number 24. It says this, Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize, run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable one. Therefore, if I run thus, not with uncertainty... Thus, therefore I run thus not with uncertainty, thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. Now, we see that the Holy Spirit through the Apostle Paul used um, different examples to uh, communicate truth to us. One of the more popular uh, examples that he used um, has to do with and is found in Ephesians the sixth chapter, where Paul is talking about uh, you and me putting on the whole armor of God, and clearly he is uh, using uh, a Roman soldier and the armor uh, that that they wore. Uh, as a pattern uh, to present you and me with something that is just as important, even more important, uh, but is spiritual in nature instead of physical in nature. Now, another theme that we see from the Apostle Paul is one of athletics. Uh, And we see here that he's not using a Roman soldier, but he's using an athlete to help communicate to you and me these very important principles. And he's talking about the uncommon commitment that world-class athletes make to compete for a prize, to compete for uh, an award, a trophy, a gold medal. Um, In in his case, um, you know, they would give him the the crown made out of uh, branches and so that's why he said, you know, it, it was one that perished. Uh, it, it would be green the day they put it on, but in a few days, uh, the thing is going to uh, wilt and, and turn uh, brown, and then eventually the leaves are going to fall off of their you know, prize that they worked so hard to obtain. So he's saying that those who run in this race all run, but one receives the prize. He says... Run in such a way that that you may obtain it. In other words, he's saying that we should should take what we do for the Lord seriously. That that we should um, look at the commitment that a world-class athlete makes and judge ourselves based upon uh, their effort, their sacrifice, their determination to go after what they're going after. In other words... Are, are, are we going after what's set before us by the Holy Spirit with the same kind of determination, the same kind of effort, the same kind of, of you know, tenacity and uncommon commitment that we see from these world-class athletes? Now, I left verse 26 up on the screen. He says, therefore I run thus. In other words, he's saying, I'm going after what, what's before me uh, in a spiritual sense uh, with the same kind of intensity, with the same kind of uncommon commitment that a world-class cal- athlete, you know, goes after what what they're going after. Think about it for a minute, you know, um, like Olympic gymnasts. Sometimes as, as little girls, um, they, they move to a training facility separated from their family and live there for years, all in preparation. Uh, to be able to compete in the Olympic Games. Again, this is the kind of uncommon commitment. When he says temperate in all things, he's talking about being disciplined. He's talking about being committed. And so Paul says, therefore I run thus, I, I'm, I'm like this myself, but not with uncertainty. Not with uncertainty. Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air. So he's talking about like a shadow boxer um, that would... That would you know, be fighting an imaginary opponent, Paul is saying, look, I understand who my opponent is. I understand what's at stake here. I understand the importance of, of the race that's set before me and me making an uncommon commitment to run and finish that race. Now, Jesus talked about the commitment and sacrifice that people in the world make so they can get what they want. And he went on to say that children of the light, people who are born again in the kingdom of God, that they, for whatever reason, do not have that same approach to go after the things that Father God has put before them. He talked about people being lazy and lacking the motivation to go after the things of God with the same intensity that they once went after the things of the world. Now, again, I'm not trying to be negative. I'm certainly not trying to to condemn or bash anybody. That's not what I'm here for. That's not who I am. That's not what I do. But the point that is is being made is when we were in the world, um, we would spend our last dollar to get something that we wanted. We would stay up all night uh to experience the pleasures of the flesh. We 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 would uh you know drive you know 200 miles um, you know, just to uh, see somebody for a little while. There, 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 would, there was no end to what we were willing to do to pursue the pleasures of the flesh and the things of the world. But then people get born again, they come into the kingdom and they don't even have a dollar for God, much less pay their tithes and give them the offering. Now so we come into the kingdom, those same folks that would stay up all night Uh, chasing the things of the flesh um, two services on a Sunday is too much to ask an hour and 45 minute class are you kidding me? so if you think about things again I watch movies I'm I'm not preaching against watching a movie but it's nothing for us to go sit two or three hours in a movie three or four hours at a ball game other things that we will drive to spend money on wait in line for Right, so when we talk about this uncommon commitment that is discipleship discipleship again if it's anything discipleship is an uncommon commitment we're we're talking about giving the things of God the proper place that they deserve in our lives and going after those things in the same way people in the world go after the things that they go after, right? Now, when we talk about an uncommon commitment, this is why I am encouraging you to register for this class. I'm encouraging you to sign on the dotted line. I'm encouraging you to make a commitment. I understand if you're just here kind of curious about what it's all about, but if if we will put ourselves out there if if we'll stretch ourselves if we'll say you know I don't really see right now how I can ever you know be a part of all 36 of these classes but I'm at least willing to try I'm at least willing to make that commitment you know th- these are the things that I'm talking about because you know God honors commitment he honors us when you know, we put him and his things uh, ahead of other people and other things in our life. Now, one last thing along those lines, and then we'll move on to some other aspects of this point about commitment. And I'm going to put it up on the screen. I really feel like the Holy Spirit's saying this to us tonight. Have you ever stopped to consider how many things God wants to do in your life that begin with you showing up? Amen. Have you ever stopped to consider how many things God wants to do in your life that begin with you showing up? It may be too much for any of us to bear if we were to see how many things we've missed out on because we didn't show up, because we were somewhere else doing something else with somebody else when Father God was wanting to and trying to work in our lives. So again, I'm going to ask you, have you ever stopped to consider how many things God wants to do in your life that begin with you showing up? So many times we, we prejudge things. And, and, and again, I, I've already said it once, I'll say it again. You've got to anticipate, you've got to be prepared for um, the resistance that the enemy uh, tries to bring against you when you start getting close to things that are going to make a big difference in your life. He's going to try to distract you, discourage you, deceive you. He's going to try to make it seem like the hardest and, 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 and most boring and, and most, you know, make it seem like the, the most labor intensive thing that you could ever uh, be a part of, blah, 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 blah. You've got to anticipate that. The Bible says if you're ignorant of the devil's devices, it'll give him an advantage over you, All right, But again, so much of what God wants to do in your life just begins with you showing up, you being present and accounted for, so that He can do what it is that He desires to do. Amen. Now, I want to talk to you about four levels of commitment. Okay, four levels of commitment, and and this almost sounds like you know somebody's about to hit you up for a you know a 1995 membership or a. membership or a platinum member. No, no, no. When I say four levels of commitment, I'm talking about four levels of commitment that that we see Jesus talking about in the scriptures. Okay? Now, before I even show you these words, before I even show you these words, I want to remind you that one word can carry multiple meanings. All right? One word can carry multiple meanings. And so, um, you know, some of these words may mean something to you other than the point that I feel like the Holy Spirit's wanting to make tonight. So just keep an open heart, open mind, all right? And I'm going to show you these words in the scriptures, at least in the context that we're going to be looking at them in tonight. So we're talking about four levels of commitment. The first that we see is a group of people that Jesus referred to as believer, okay? a group of people that Jesus referred to as believer. Then we also see that there was another group that He referred to as a follower. A believer, a follower. Okay, But then there was another group of people that were disciples. That were disciples. He referred to those individuals as a disciple. And again, the... Not every um, uh, disciple. Not every disciple is an apostle. Um, you know, we thought well. Jesus had twelve disciples. Now, he had a, he had a whole bunch of disciples. Okay, he had twelve that became apostles. So not every disciple is an apostle, but every apostle was and is a disciple. Okay, Did you follow that? It's important now. So believer follower, disciple, and then the fourth one, the fourth one we're going to have to go into the book of Acts to see, and that is this uh, individual people who are referred to in Scripture as a Christian. Okay? Now, I understand, and I'm, I'm probably still guilty of it to this day, um in the sense that I would use these words interchangeably, um, you know, as if they all mean the same thing. And you know, the one, perhaps, that is the most unique is the first one, and I'll explain it in just a moment, that's the word believer. Don't misunderstand me, I am a believer. Okay? Um, and I am a follower, and I am a disciple, and I am a Christian. Alright? But when we see how Jesus used these words, we'll see that He was specifically referring to people who had made different levels of commitment to Him and different levels of commitment to what He wanted to do in their lives and then ultimately what He wanted to do through their lives. Okay, so let's take this first one first Believer, go with me to John chapter 2. John chapter 2 and verse number 23. Amen. John chapter 2 and verse number 23. Praise God. All right, you hanging in there? Everybody doing good? Amen. I I usually say things like that when there's a lot of people in this room, uh, just checking everybody's pulse. Amen. All right, praise God. John chapter 2, and let's begin. at verse number 23. It says this, Now when He was in Jerusalem at the Passover during the feast, many believed in His name when they saw the signs which He did. But Jesus did not commit Himself to them, because He knew all men, and had no need that that anyone should testify of man, for He knew what was in man. right, Now, this, of course, um, is talking about the miracles that Jesus did when it says um, that they believed on Him when they saw the signs which He did. This, this use of the word um, believe is it's, it's, it's a very loose uh, usage. Um, in other words, the Bible says if you believe on the name of the Lord, you will be saved. Okay, But that's not talking about what these people did. This watered down version of this word means that they saw Jesus do some things that they had never seen anybody else do and they were impressed. They saw Jesus stand up to some people that they had never seen anybody stand up to before and... Uh, and they wanted to give Him a high five. And they got caught up in the moment. Okay, This doesn't mean that these people believed He was the Son of God. This doesn't mean that they invested saving faith in Him. This doesn't mean that, that they thought He was the Messiah and they were all in. You say, well, Pastor Mark, how do you know that? Are you these people's judge? No, just read what it says here. So, they, um, they believed in His name when they saw the signs which He did, but Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew all men and he had no need that anyone should testify of man, for he knew what was in them. In other words, Jesus knew that these men and women were not ready to make the commitment necessary to be his disciples. This is why he did not commit himself to them. This is a very odd scripture. I mean, you know, this is a very very odd passage here when you start, you know, really considering what's going on because. You know, we have this, this idea of Jesus, you know, that he just committed himself to anybody who, who you know, looked his way, you know, you know for two seconds. Um, and I'm not trying to give you a wrong impression here. Remember, Jesus, at this point, he's began his earthly ministry. He's 30 years old. He's going to be crucified on a Roman cross in, in basically three years. At this point, less than three years. So there is a clock ticking, and there is a lot to do. And Jesus knew that these, because he knew what was in them, he didn't need anybody to tell them. He didn't go around and, like, you know, uh, get references and call a bunch of former employers to see, you know, if these folks had what it took to be disciples. He knew what was in them. He didn't need anybody to tell them. And, and Jesus did not commit himself to them because he knew they were not ready to make the commitment necessary to be his disciples. Okay? Now, let me explain to you, though the difference between then and now. When, when all this was taking place, Jesus was on the clock. Okay, He's not on the clock anymore. We're on the clock. So, you may not be ready to make the commitment necessary to be one of Jesus' disciples. Right? That doesn't mean that He's any less committed to you. Right? He's right there waiting for you, waiting for anybody who's willing To make the necessary commitment to be his disciple, but but again, Jesus didn't come looking for fans. He didn't come looking, I'm talking about like like people, you know, wanting his autograph. That that that's not what he was looking for. He wasn't looking for a bunch of people who were impressed by him and and, and wanted to try to rub shoulders with him. He was looking for people who were willing to make the necessary commitment and put forth the necessary effort for Him to train them, for Him to pour Himself into them, for Him to impart into them the truth and wisdom and understanding that His Father had put inside of Him. He could pass it along to them so that they could then go into the earth and do what it is that He has called us to do. Alright? So, a lot of times back in the day before we had the fancy screens and all that, I would put believer up there and I'd always put the ditto marks so and maybe I need to go back and do this. Okay. Um, in a minute, we're going to look at another situation where this same terminology is used. Um, and it, and it, was, it was in John the 8th chapter where the Bible says a group of Jews believed on Jesus. But you'll see really, really quickly when we get to that passage that once He begins to interact with them, um, <laughs> it's not the kind... Of faith or what we would say boy that that sister's a believer you know, she's a true believer um, these were people again who uh, gave credit for doing something they never seen anybody else do they were impressed by him they were drawn to him but not willing to make the commitment necessary to follow him praise God alright so the next one is follower and we see this in John chapter 6 and verse 66 It says, from that time, many of His disciples went back and walked with Him no more. And so what we see here is a group of folks who had made the commitment, who had put forth the effort, but now had made a choice that they were not going to be disciples, and for that matter, they weren't even going to follow Him. So so the, the, the idea that I want you to see about this next level of commitment is a believer... Again, dittos around it. Um, The believer was one who was impressed by Jesus as long as Jesus was around doing something cool that, that excited them or interested them. A follower is somebody who also was interested in Jesus but would actually take some time off work to go out into the countryside and sit down on a rock for a few days and listen to Him teach. In other words, a follower would be somebody who followed him, who went to find him wherever he was, to learn more uh, from him, to hear more about him. All right? Now, this next level, disciple, turn over with me a couple of chapters. It's in John, the eighth chapter. John chapter eight, and we'll begin in verse number 30. Okay, John chapter eight, verse number 30. This is a little bit tedious now. I mean, I you know one of the things that i didn't tell you in the beginning is you know let's say uh, we're in, you know eventually we'll get to uh, the subject of our righteousness all right? when we get to the subject of righteousness you know i've i've preached a lot of 30 40 minute sermons on righteousness okay when we get to the subject of righteousness we we're going to we're going we're gonna to dig into some sound doctrine. we we may spend 2 hours or more uh, digging into that okay so amen Let's just keep going here. A disciple. Again, we're talking about four levels of commitment. A disciple. John chapter 8, and verse number 30. It says this, And as he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed him, If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. Alright? So, let me set this up for you. Jesus had just dealt with the woman caught in the act of adultery. Many of you know that beautiful story where he did not condemn her, and he did not, uh, you know, agree with the religious establishment that she should be stoned to death, even though she was guilty of her sin. And and Jesus, you know, in that beautiful story, um, he knelt down, uh, signifying that her sin could be placed upon him. So he didn't just sweep her sin under the rug either. Um, He was in essence saying, um, you go and sin no more, and I, uh, in in the very near future, will pay for your sin for you. Instead of them dragging her outside the city and executing her, he was going to allow them to drag him outside the city and execute him on her behalf, in her place. So, it's a very beautiful story of forgiveness, and I love to preach and teach from it. And obviously, there were witnesses who saw Jesus stand up to the religious bullies, and they were like, "Man, that Jesus, he's he's just all right with me." You know, I mean, it's, what's that song go right? They're like, "That that Jesus, man, I'm gonna tell you, I I, I like him. I, I think he's I think he's you know uh, one of the one of the best religious dudes I've ever met." It was, it was that kind of you know man upstairs, the good Lord kind of. Uh, you know, talk. And so again, the Bible here says that they believed in Him. And Jesus saw a crack in the door. He saw an opening. And so He says to those who have made that level of connection, that have made that level of commitment to Him, He says, if you abide in My Word, one translation says, if you continue in My Word, you are My disciples indeed, and you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Okay? So, I was teaching on this in one of the classes, uh, morning classes this week. I forget which one. But, you know, a lot of people have heard the, the expression, uh, the truth will make you free. Um, but notice, the truth will make you free only if you know the truth. And the only way you're going to know the truth is if you are a disciple. Jesus said, if you continue my word, you'll be my disciples indeed. Continuing in the Word is one of the key characteristics of a disciple. A disciple is somebody who continues in the Word. If you do not continue in the Word, you are not a disciple. A disciple is someone who continues in the Word. Jesus said, if you continue in the Word, you'll be My disciples indeed. Right? You'll be my disciples for real. You'll be my disciples, sure enough. You'll be my disciples not just because you're high-fiving me and patting me on the back for standing up the religious establishment, but you'll actually be someone who commits to learning from me, who commits to hearing what I have to say to you from my Father, and then giving it your best effort to walk those things out and carry them out in your life. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. Not in word. There's a difference between somebody who talks a good talk, right, and somebody who walks a good walk. And so Jesus is saying, if you abide in My Word, you'll be My disciples indeed. In other words, you won't just talk the talk, but you'll walk the walk. And you then will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. Sounds like a happy ending, doesn't it? Well, let's keep reading. Verse number 33. They answered him, we are Abraham's descendants, and have never been in bondage to anyone, how can you say you will be made free? Jesus answered them, Most assuredly I say to you, whoever commits sin is a slave of sin, and a slave does not abide in the house forever, but a son abides forever. Therefore, if the Son makes you free, you shall be free indeed. So, if if you're picking up on it, when Jesus says to them, You'll know the truth, and the truth will make you free. They were offended by that. They were like, hold hold on a second here, Jesus. Do you not know who we are? Do you not know that we're Abraham's descendants? Do you not know that we are uh, the privileged elite? Do you not know uh, know, whose uh, children and offspring we are? And that we've never been in bondage to anyone? Man, that's denial if there's ever been denial. The Roman Empire uh, has enslaved them. And and has dominated them, is dominating them even as they're standing there saying these things. Okay? But again, once Jesus tries to take the crack in the door and push it open further, once he tries to build upon the fondness in their heart, the the consideration that they were giving him, and he's trying to draw them into and encourage them into a deeper commitment, they bristled, you know, they, they were offended. And they put him in his place real quick. All right? So maybe I should start with this one and then go back to the passage we looked at in John, was it chapter 2, chapter 1, where, you know, where it says they believed on him, but he didn't commit himself to him. Because it's the same situation here. Um, now, in this case, we see that Jesus asked them questions, and what's in their heart comes out of their mouth. Um, you know, their attitude towards him. Their willingness to commit to Him, their willingness to to, to do what it takes to actually be a disciple, we see they're not interested in that at all. All right? Now, again, we're talking about this uncommon commitment. Go with me to Luke chapter 14. Luke, the 14th chapter. Praise God. Luke chapter 14. And we'll just look at one verse here Luke 14 and 27. Listen to what Jesus says about being His disciple. He says, And whoever does not bear his cross and come after Me cannot be My disciple. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after Me cannot be My disciple. Now, I could show you all kinds of verses where Jesus has clearly swung the doors open wide To anyone who wants to come and receive His salvation, uh, who wants to come to Him and believe on Him, follow Him, commit themselves to Him, and be one of His disciples. So when Jesus says that if you will not bear your cross and come after Him, you cannot be His disciple, what He's saying here is that your refusal to do what it takes will prevent you from being His disciple. In other words, it's not like one of these things where Jesus says, jump through these three hoops and I'll give you your discipleship badge. No. So what can we understand then from this? That the key, another one of these key characteristics of a disciple is, again, someone who continues in the Word, uncommon commitment to, the, to hearing the Word of God, learning the Word of God, hiding the Word of God in your heart, obeying the Word of God, finding out what the Word of God has to say about a situation. I know that it's, it's, it's kind of at a boiling point in our country right now, but w- would, would, would you uh, please, as a born-again believer, find out what the Word of God says about this upcoming election. Would you please, when it comes time to cast your ballot in local elections, city council elections, state elections, national elections, would you please find out what the people you're voting for believe in would you please find out what they support and what they're against, what they're for, and what they're opposed to? I know, my friend, that, that you know, there's a lot of things that are off-putting about candidates and things of this nature, but you need to find out what these candidates believe about abortion. You need to find out what these candidates believe about Israel. You need to find out what these candidates believe about free speech. You need to find out what these candidates believe about the church and the place of the church and the role of the church in this country. You need to find out what these candidates believe about the slogan, In God We Trust. Amen. And I can go on and on with that. I'm not I'm not trying to, you know, I've I've got to where and and I'm I'm not I'm not I'm thankful for Facebook. We're on Facebook right now. There's people watching this through Facebook. I'm thankful for that platform. But I've just about got to where I can't I can't go on there because I'm not wanting to call my brothers and sisters out uh, you know in Christ for the things that they post and, 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 and bashing our president. My friend, nowhere in the Bible does it say bash your leaders. It says to pray for them. I, listen, if you don't like Trump, President Trump, that's, that's your right to, to, to have an opinion about some, some leader. But it doesn't disqualify you from praying for him. Amen. And so it's very easy to get on there and criticize uh that's, the Bible doesn't tell you to criticize those who have the rule over you. It says to pray for them. And I'm telling you tonight, if if, if, you, if, if you despise President Trump, you, you better pray for him even harder because I'm, I'm just about convinced, I know it doesn't look like it right now, but he's going to be your president for the next four years. So you better start praying for him instead of tearing him down. Amen. I'm sorry. I, I just. But it comes back to a disciple is somebody who. Your life doesn't belong to you to live as you please and to do as you choose. It all comes back to, to what does the Word of God say? What, what, how do, what does the Bible you know, have to say about all these different situations and scenarios and policies and, 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 and these kinds of things? And so, you know, people who know me and have known me for years, rarely if ever do I even mention politics. But again, It's time for the church to be the church. And what we're dealing with in our world right now is exposing some flaws and some weaknesses and some glaring inconsistencies in the body of Christ. And it's the mercy and grace of God that's giving us the opportunity to recognize what needs to change in the body of Christ and and get before God and allow Him to do the work in us that needs to be done so that we can be the light and the influence in this world That this world needs us to be more than ever. That our God needs us to be in this world more than ever. Again, disciples. A disciple. A disciple is someone who's made an uncommon commitment. A disciple is someone who says, before I do anything, I'm going to see what the Word has to say about it first. So, let me get back to Luke 14. Whoever does not bear his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. So, the first thing we see that... If you're going to be a disciple, it means continuing the Word. If you're going to be a disciple, it means a willingness uh, to put forth the effort to bear your cross. Now, this is one of those subjects that uh, a lot of confusion uh, is around. In other words, it's pretty clear here uh, that if you don't bear your cross and come after Jesus, you can't be His disciple what is confusing to a lot of people is what does it actually mean for you to bear your cross. Okay? And so I want to spend a moment here. And I'm asking you in the beginning to don't overthink this. Because bearing your cross is a reference to any effort and sacrifice you must make to fulfill your God-given purpose and destiny your cross represents the things that are your responsibility your cross represents the things that you must do in order to fulfill the purpose that Father God has assigned to your life now one of the more common mistakes that people make is they try to ignore their cross and they view Jesus' cross as their cross to bear. My friend, he didn't say that if you do not bear the Lord's cross. You see, the cross that Jesus bore represents the effort and sacrifice He had to put forth in order to fulfill His purpose and destiny. My friend, your purpose and destiny is not to die for all mankind. That was His purpose. That was His destiny. It was His purpose and destiny to be beaten with that whip and many stripes because by His stripes you were healed. All of that represents the cross that Jesus bore for you. I hear people say things like, well, you know, uh, this emphysema is just my cross to bear. No, 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 my friend. Sickness is not your cross to bear. Jesus bore that for you. It is silly for you to try to bear a cross that you cannot bear and a cross that has already been bore for you. Jesus carried that for you. Jesus carried on His cross your sin and the consequences of your sin. So even if you have abused your body and the devil is trying to point out the things that you've done to abuse your body and now say the consequences of abusing your body is your cross to bear, my friend, he is lying to you. But again, we get so caught up in in error and confusion thinking the things that Jesus bore for us are somehow things that we have to now bear, and the whole time we're confused and therefore ignorant of what really is our cross to bear. Again, your cross to bear, the things that are your responsibility, the effort that you must put forth, the sacrifices that you must make in order to fulfill your God-given purpose and destiny. Right now, you could be doing a whole bunch of other things besides watching this video. You could be watching uh, your favorite television program. You could be uh, outside riding your bicycle. You could be eating chicken wings. There's all kinds of things you could be doing. But notice, you have sacrificed all of those things in order to make this time uh, in the Word of God with the Holy Spirit a priority. Again, that is part of your cross to bear. if you're going to know the truth, if you're going to come to the knowledge of the truth, then you're going to have to put forth some effort and sacrifice some things and build up some endurance in order to have strong doctrine established in your heart and life. So this is discipleship. This is discipleship. Bearing your cross. So there's a lot of things that, that are, are, um, are similar. Similar. In other words, there's some things that every born-again believer is responsible for. But then there are other things that are unique to your individual purpose. Things that, um, let's say, uh, you're called to serve in in the music ministry of the kingdom. Well, you've more than likely, uh, uh, since you're called to that, are gifted in that area. Um, But just because you can play a guitar doesn't mean that you shouldn't practice to be able to play it more skillfully. Now you think, well, I love playing the guitar. That's not my cross to bear. Again, we're talking about responsibility. We have this concept of our cross to bear as as being agonizing and suffering and all these other things. My friend, Jesus carried the cross of agony. Amen? That's why Paul says anything that we endure is light affliction. And it's not even worth mentioning compared to what Jesus endured to set us free from the slavery of sin and the consequences of our sin so that we're now free from the sin, free from the consequences, but free to live the life that God created us to live and develop His purposes and callings and gifts and talents in our lives to glorify Him in the earth and to make a difference in the lives of other people. This is discipleship. This is bearing your cross. When you, you could do... Uh, anything that you choose to do, but you instead choose to put the things of God ahead of those other things, Amen. Now, this leads us to that fourth level of commitment, and it's the one Christ. It's called Christian, okay? <laughs> Christian, and uh, I think after we explain this one, perhaps the others are going to make a little more sense. So turn with me to Acts. The 11th chapter, please. Acts chapter 11. Amen. All right. Praise God. Acts chapter 11, and let's begin at verse number 19. All right. Acts chapter 11 and verse number 19. Okay. It says this. Now those who were scattered after the persecution that arose over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch preaching the word to no one but the Jews only. Alright, I'm going I'm to go down just a little quick rabbit trail and then we'll come back. We are um, facing historical challenges in our world um, that have... Um, you know, impacted just about every aspect of, of of our society and you know schools, churches, hospitals. You just you know finances, jobs, and everything, right? And um, obviously, this is from the enemy. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But one of the things that I believe has happened through all of this um, and is going to be a positive uh, effect moving forward until Jesus comes back, is that more and more churches are ministering online now. Um, We have certainly strived to increase our online presence. we have, thanks to faithful people who give, we have here at Heritage, we've upgraded our digital sound system, we've bought a new computer, we're installing software, and very, very soon, um, we're going to be uh, live streaming from our sanctuary, um, our, our main services. Um, we've, we've recorded those in the past and put them online. What's the point? The point is, you know, we've responded to this you know, crisis and pandemic by seeking out other ways to preach the truth and the Word of God that um, are going to be in place now that will continue to be effective. And, and it's not just what we're doing here at Heritage. Many ministries um, that have never even considered uh, online services um, are doing that now. So you say, Pastor Mark, why did you just shift over to that? Well, I liken it to what Acts chapter 11, verse 19 is talking about. When Stephen, the first martyr of the church, this is when, if you recall, he was, he was uh, murdered because of his faith. Uh, the church got nervous about that, and so they spread out into uh, the countryside. But then everywhere they went, they were letting their light shine and telling people about Jesus and so what the enemy meant as you know, intimidation and terror to try to harm the church and silence the church and, and, and get the church you know, uh, to, to pull back and, and, and have less influence, uh, the tables were turned on the enemy. And now the gospel is being preached in places to people that it's never been preached to. Um, again, uh, what the enemy meant for evil God turned the tables on him, and it became a positive. And so again, I think that's similar to what we're seeing now. The enemy trying to silence the churches, trying to harm the churches financially, trying to isolate people from one another and, and weaken them in their faith. Um, you know, The tables are being turned, and the gospel is being preached through more channels, reaching more people, I believe, than ever in the history of the church. All right, So let's get back to this. Verse 20. But some of them were men from Cyprus and Cyrene, who, when they had come to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenists preaching the Lord Jesus. And Hellenists is just a, a, a kind of a fancy way of saying uh, uh, Greeks, uh, uh, people who uh, were non-Jewish. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number believed and turned. To the Lord, then the news of these things came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent out Barnabas to go as far as Antioch. And when he came and had seen the grace of God, he was glad and encouraged them all, that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Now let me stop right here. I think you're probably following along, but let me make sure you understand what's going on. Persecution taking place in the city. Christians fleeing from that persecution go into the surrounding areas telling other people about Jesus. Those people are getting saved. So we see that a group winds up in Antioch and here a bunch of people are getting saved to the point, notice this verse 21, that a great number believed and turned to the Lord. So much so, and, and you know, this was before the days of satellite news and television, radio, and newspapers, but this was such a big event that word of it made it back to the leaders of the church in Jerusalem. And so they sent Brother Barnabas uh, down to check it out. And he went as far as Antioch. And so when he comes to Antioch, he sees the grace of God. He was glad. And then notice this right here. He encouraged, them, he encouraged them all that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. I don't know, sometimes phrases in the bible just seem to leap off the page at me. And that phrase, that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. He encouraged them that with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. That with purpose of heart they should continue with the Lord. Purpose of heart is communicating what? It's communicating deliberation. It, it's communicating intentionality. It, it, it's communicating a, a regimen. Uh, it, it, it's not something haphazardly. It's not some, he didn't say, look, if you get around to it, you might want to look into this. And if you have time later on, you might want to do this. And, and if you're not too busy, you might want to go to church every now and then. And, and, and by the way, if, 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 if you've got a little time, you should, you should maybe you know, look at... No, no. He says, listen, I'm so blessed and I'm so happy and thankful to see what the grace of God is doing among you. I'm so amazed to see how many of you have responded to this simple Gospel message and have called upon the name of the Lord to, to be saved. And, and so let me just please, if I could, as someone who's walked with the Lord for a while, I want to encourage you to, to continue with the Lord and to do it with purpose of heart. One translation says, with great purpose of heart. In other words, make your mind up that you're going all the way. Make your mind up that you're not looking back. Make your mind up that you're going to dig your heels in and you're going to know the Lord and you're going to know His grace and purpose for your life and you're going to fulfill that grace and purpose to the glory of God the Father. Now notice what happens. Verse 25. Well, I left off 24, didn't I? For Barnabas was a good man full of the Holy Spirit full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great many people were added to the Lord. So Barnabas comes is encouraging them to continue with the Lord, and notice what happens. Even more people get saved. So verse 25, Then Barnabas departed for Tarsus, Tarsus is the place, to seek Saul. And when he found him, he brought him to Antioch, so that it was for a whole year they assembled with the church and taught a great many people. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. Okay, The disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. So what happened? Barnabas goes, you know, here's word. Hey, there's some people getting saved down down towards Antioch. Wow, way out there. Are there any Jews even living out there? I don't know, Barnabas. Why don't you go check it out? Barnabas says, all right, I'll go check it out. So he goes down there. He finds a large number of people born again. He encourages them to continue with the Lord with great purpose of heart. And then even more people are added to the Lord. So notice, though, what Barnabas did. Barnabas did not leave it to chance. Barnabas recognized that God was doing a tremendous work among the people in Antioch And that these people needed somebody to come and teach them. These people were hungry. These people were committed. These people were ready. But also, these people were saved, but they were saved, but had not yet, here we go, they had not yet come to the knowledge of the truth. And they're never going to come to the knowledge of the truth unless somebody disciples them, unless somebody teaches them. So Barnabas goes and gets the best teacher he knows, and that's Saul. And we see that they, uh, Saul brings him back to Antioch, and he stays there for a year, a whole year. Okay, don't you love how the Bible is very specific? You know, it it wasn't ten months; it was a year, a a whole year. They, Paul and Barnabas, assembled with the church, and they taught them. It was a lot of people. Now here's the thing you've got to see. And the disciples were first called Christians in Antioch. The disciples in Antioch, because of their commitment to discipleship, were first called Christians. It was the first time anybody was ever called, and I'm going to say it kind of funny to emphasize it, the first time anybody on planet earth was ever called a Christian. It was in Antioch. And it's important for you to understand that this was not a compliment. They were called Christians by outsiders who examined their life, who who witnessed the way they lived, and they said, those people remind us of the Christ. Those people remind us so much of Jesus that they call them Christians. They call them Christ-like. And they meant it because remember, to those who don't know any better, Jesus was a phony. Jesus was a, you know, an executed criminal. But yet, they had so much of Him shining through them had so much of his nature, so much of, of his power, so much of his wisdom that outsiders call the disciples at Antioch Christians, Christians. Okay? So, we said that, and using some of these terms loosely, there are people who are fond of Jesus. There are people who have followed him, but then there are people who have made an uncommon commitment to discipleship, with the end result of that commitment being Christ in them shining forth through them and from them. Let me give you just a simple thing here, all right? Every disciple is a Christian, but not everyone who calls themselves a Christian is a disciple. Now, what, what's the point I'm trying to make here? I, again, I'm not trying to offend you. I'm not trying to, to uh, bring any division. I'm trying to get you to see this from a, from a, a different perspective. I'm trying to get you to see this because, again, You know, we have a tendency to call anybody who's been born again a Christian. I'm a born again Christian. Really? Okay. You know, Christian used to mean something. Christian used to mean someone that had committed themselves to discipleship, right? Committed themselves to a process to the point that they became so much like Jesus that other people gave them that title. Not something that they... It's not a title they took upon themselves, but it was one That other people gave to them. All right. One last thing. We've got just a few more minutes, okay? Turn with me to Matthew, the 13th chapter. Matthew, chapter 13. Thank you, Jesus. I pray you're getting something out of this tonight. I pray that your uh, heart's being stirred about what discipleship is and what it's. Purpose and intentions. Let me say it another way, okay? Discipleship is God's thing. You know, um, let me get a sip of water. There are, uh, for instance, I, I was raised in church, and um, sometimes we get the impression that discipleship is going to a series of classes to learn about you know uh, church doctrine um, giving and tithing reading your Bible and praying and listen I'm not I'm not making light of any of that Um, all those things are important but um, discipleship is more than a six week class that you take you know after you get saved I mean we all need an introductory class to Christianity. We all, you know, if you've recently been born again, there are some you know, specific things that, that, that somebody needs to explain to you. And, and all of that is absolutely important. But I think a lot of people view discipleship as, um, you know, taking those kinds of classes and, you know, moving on to the next level uh, you know in the church um, when it's so 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 much more than that it's a it's a lifetime commitment it's it's um, it's something that uh, again Father God has established uh, not something man-made not something religion came up with um, Jesus instituted discipleship. Are you following me? And, and He's the one that's calling us to it. He's calling us to this uncommon commitment. Alright, let me try to uh, encourage you here just a few more minutes and, um, and we'll be done for tonight. Okay. Matthew chapter 13 um, contains the uh, parable of the sower and um, if you know anything about this parable um, then you may know that Jesus identified it as the most important of all the parables that he taught as a matter of fact he said that if if you don't understand this parable how will you understand any of the others So I often refer to it as the master key parable. Now, in this parable, Jesus talks about a farmer who plants or sows seed. And as He's planting the seed, we see that the seed lands in some different places. And based upon where the seed lands, we get varying results from that seed. Now, as Jesus explains this parable, He begins by telling us that the seed is the Word of God and that the soil represents the different conditions or attitudes of people's hearts towards the Word. So, let's dig in here in Matthew chapter 13, verse 18. Jesus speaking, Therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who received the seed on stony places This is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures only for a while. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among the thorns is he who hears the word and the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, choke the word, and he becomes unfruitful. But he who received the seed on the good ground is he who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and produces, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now, what we know from other places in the Bible is that the Word of God is incorruptible seed. So by incorruptible seed, what does that mean? It means that 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 seed is perfect. That that seed um, has within it the ability to produce its intended results every single time. My dad and both of my granddads um, had gardens. And I helped them some in those gardens. And one of the things that was interesting to me is that when we would plant squash, we wouldn't plant them in rows like we planted other things. We would plant them in what's called hills. We would like little mounds. And in the top of that mound, we would place three squash seed, in separate little holes and cover them up. And I just thought it was because we wanted three squash plants. It wasn't until later that my dad explained to me that he planted three to make sure that he would get one healthy one. Let's say it's a bad seed, a dud, and and one of the seeds doesn't produce anything. Or let's say all three of them come up, but one of the plants is really strong and healthy, the other two are kind of weak. Well, he's going to pull the other two out of there, not disturbing the, the roots of the healthiest plant. So the point being, when we're talking about natural seed, natural seed can produce different results. But because the Word of God is incorruptible seed, it has within it the ability, the power, to produce the, the same results every single time so when we see the seed that is the Word of God planted and yet no results in one situation uh, limited results in the other we see that it's not a problem with the seed it's a problem with the soil it's a problem with the condition of the individual person's heart that receives that seed okay it's very very important So. We see that this first group of people who heard the word and do not understand it, it's like seed falling in a compacted place. I I always thought of it, you know, just from my experience, it was like where the tractor turned around and the ground was compacted. So if a seed landed there, um, it it didn't have any protection, any soil over it, and birds would come very quickly and, and, and steal that seed. And so Jesus says that there are people who hear the Word of God, but because they don't understand it, the enemy comes like that bird and steals it from them before they understand. And so again, the Word of God is not going to produce any positive results in this person's heart, even though they heard the Word of God. But the enemy comes immediately to steal it. right, Then... He talks about um, those who receive seed on stony places. And this, these are people who hear the Word and they immediately receive it with joy. I compare them to those two groups of folks that we, that we looked at earlier in the Gospel of John. The ones that, that saw the miracles Jesus did in the early days of His ministry. Those that saw Him stand up to the, to the religious bullies in the temple. And they both got very excited they, they both, um, both those groups of people, um, seemed like they were prime candidates uh, to go all in with Jesus. But once you look inwardly, there was no depth of commitment, or what the Bible calls here, they had no root within themselves. And so when persecution, tribulation arises because of the Word, this person immediately stumbles. So the imagery is um, a seed that lands in a rocky place that springs up quickly out of the soil but because of the condition of the soil is unable to develop any kind of root system and as soon as the sun beats down on the plant and what little surface moisture is dried up the plant withers uh, and and slumps over uh, quickly. So again, there are people who fall into this category. Then we have those who receive the word and it begins to produce results in their lives, but other things grow up around it and choke it out. All right? Then the fourth condition are those who receive the word, good soil, they understand it, they bear fruit. and it produces hundredfold, 60, 30-fold results in their lives. Because if you plant one kernel of corn, you don't get one kernel of corn back. You plant one kernel of corn, it produces a whole stalk with ears of corn on it. And this is the power that the Word of God has to produce results in your life. And what we're seeing here, of course, is the relentless effort of the enemy to prevent you and me from ever... Um, becoming established in the Word of God and the Word of God becoming established in us. So much so that the enemy does everything he can to keep you from ever hearing in the first place. And then if you were to happen to hear something from the Word of God, he's going to try to come immediately and steal it from you. But if he can't steal it from you, he's going to try to put pressure on you to get you to back away from it and walk away. And if He can't get you to do that, and the Word of God takes root in your life and begins to grow and produce results in your life, He's going to try another strategy. Now He's going to try to get you interested in other things, focused on money, focused on uh, what the Bible calls here the deceitfulness of, of riches, the cares, worries, stress of this life. Uh, another version of this parable says the desire for other things, right? To grow up around the Word of God and slowly choke it out. Now, in the interest of simplifying this in the last few minutes I refer to these four categories in this way okay the first group of people are those who quit before they understood they they quit and walked away before they understood the word the next group of people are those who started but they quit before they became established The fourth group of people, the ones that other things grew up and choked out the Word, those are the people who quit and never knew they did. I know by the Holy Spirit tonight that I'm talking to some men and women. You quit and never knew you did. You slowly faded away from a heart that used to be passionate and on fire for the things of God. You let the cares of this life, the deceitfulness of riches, working five and six jobs, Trying to, you know, gain finances and all these other things. And all of that grew up around what used to be a fervent relationship with God and has slowly choked out the word of God producing its results in your life. But then there's that last group of folks. I call them those who never quit. Now listen to me tonight. A whole lot of what I've said tonight you may not understand. It's okay don't quit some of you may be new to all of this and you're like you know I probably need a 10 minute class not an hour and 45 minute class no 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 don't don't quit before you become established You gotta put down some roots and putting down roots again is gonna require some endurance to become established in sound doctrine then you got those folks who quit and never knew they did here's the amazing thing about the last category of people those folks had every opportunity to quit that the other folks had. They just didn't take the opportunity. In other words, those who never quit, they could have quit before they understood, but they kept on till they understood it. They could have quit before they became established, but they didn't. They kept on till they became established in the Word. They could have had that slow fade like everybody else, but they kept fighting those things and they kept recognizing when they would get off course that they would say, no, I'm not putting the pursuit of money above my relationship with God. I'm not going to let the cares of this life discourage me and keep me from pursuing God. In other words, they had every opportunity that other folks had to quit and never knew they did, but they hung in there and they became established and now their lives are 30, 60, a hundred times better than they were before they started. Let me finish by saying how much I appreciate you being with us tonight. How much I appreciate you, even if you're just kicking the tires to see what this is really all about, thank you for doing it. Thank you for setting your mind on the things of the Spirit. And as you set your mind on the things of the Spirit, it's going to become easier and easier for you to follow after the Spirit of God and walk away from the things of the flesh that have had such a grip on your heart and life. So I want to pray for you tonight. And I'm believing that what started tonight with all of us together is going to continue and that we're not going to diminish in number over the 36 weeks, but I don't know how many folks are watching right now, but by the time this is all said and done in May, there's going to be far more of us then and not less of us than there are now. Can you agree with me together in faith on that? Let's pray. Father, thank You. For our time together this evening, thank you for the things that you're teaching us and revealing to us. Father, I thank you for all the effort that was represented tonight by the men and women, young people, Lord, that, that tuned in. Father, there's folks that delayed their supper, there's folks that have made special arrangements, there's folks, Father, that, that um, have gone to uh, you know, some pretty serious effort uh, to make this time with your Holy Spirit and your Holy Word a priority in their lives. And I thank you that you see that and you honor that, Lord. I thank you, Father, that there are things uh, that we can only learn from the position of a disciple. There are things, Father, that, that our eyes will never see and never be open to apart from us making that kind of commitment and our eye having a singular focus upon You and Your plans for our lives. So Lord, I thank You tonight for what is beginning. and You tell us to not despise small beginnings. And so Lord, we declare the end tonight from the very beginning that this is going to be a year of great victory, a year of great change, and Father, ultimately a year where many, many people become more effective in what they do in service for You. In your kingdom, in Jesus' name, amen and amen. All right, we love you. We'll be back with Discipleship Class next Wednesday at 5 o'clock. Share this on Facebook. Get the word out to people. These sermons will be archived on Facebook, on the church website. Um, So it's not too late for folks to watch it and get caught up. They'll be ready to go on the same page with all of us next Wednesday. Um, We're uh, in about 14 minutes. We're going to start live streaming our Wednesday evening service. Uh, If you'd like to hang around and join us for that, um, we'd love for you to. But you be blessed. Tell somebody around you good things coming, and you have a great rest of your evening.